Is mainstream school failing your kids? The pandemic, with all the changes to schooling and daily life, is a moment of opportunity to rethink the educational path that works best for you and for your kids. So the question is, how can we as parents find alternative solutions that aren't necessarily having to do it all ourselves or pay for programs that we can't afford? I'm Jerry Kirk. And I'm Graham Kirk. Join us as we talk with families thriving on their own path We shared practical tips, wins, and challenges they've been through to help you on yours. We interview educational experts and parent entrepreneurs with education solutions for the modern age, so parents wanting a better alternative can make confident, informed choices. Welcome to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. You're ready for change. And so are we. Welcome back to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. Today, we're shining the light on an amazing family to inspire you on your own education journey. Through these examples, we want you to know that if your situation isn't working, it doesn't have to be that way. You can find your own success path, and you know, it may look very different from what you're doing right now. And most of all, you're not alone. That's what our guest today, Taryn, discovered. Her and her three kids moved through 17 schools in 10 years. Amazing. And in those early days, Each of them were diagnosed with different disabilities, prescribed highly scheduled drugs, and attended years of multiple therapies. By some miracle, when things were at their worst with Shane, her first son, their neighbor introduced them to self-directed education and their lives began to transform. Shane started directing his own education. He attended a democratic school before making his big decision to take his drumming career to the next level. He then spent a year full-time completing the highest grade in music and now teaches drums. So inspired by these positive shifts, Taryn launched into the depths of research into alternative education methods. Through this journey, she also trained as a self-directed facilitator and was a staff member at a Sudbury school for a year as well. So while Shane had a really rough beginning with school, since self-directing, Shane no longer needs meds, therapies, or has any diagnoses. So that's amazing. Taryn and Sean, Thank you for joining us today to share your story. Sorry, Shane. Yeah. <laughs> I had a typo here. Thank you so here. much for having us, yeah. Thanks for having us, yeah. Awesome. Maybe we could just start by, uh, just tell us a little bit more about your family. So Shane's the oldest, he's 16, and then we have a daughter, Danielle, who's 15, and we have a son, Jude, who's 10. Our journey became rocky when Shane was 16 months, his playgroup teacher called me, to tell me she's noticing some issues with him and I need to take him for an assessment. And I really had no idea about any of these things. He was born on my 23rd birthday, so I really didn't know about any of these um, diagnoses or problems or issues or anything. And that was the beginning of a downward spiral of hundreds of therapists, assessments, doctors, extra lessons, therapies, medicines. It was, it was, it was a long journey and it was a scary one. And and although Shane had the longest of it and the worst of it, the other two also went through it. Yeah, which is really fascinating to me. Certainly probably not what you expected when you decided to become a mom. <laughs> got to introduce my son, uh, Graham, here as well for everyone listening. I've got Graham on, on the mic as well. Hello. So Graham's also in a, in a self-directed model right now. And I've got... Uh, just for both of you to know, I've got also have a daughter, Malia, who's older. She's 16, and she's doing uh, some online schooling, aspiring to become a, a violinist, a professional violinist. And uh, Grandma's twin brother, David, who's uh, all about sports, basketball, team sports of any kind. That's uh, that's his mojo. So yeah, let's let's dive into this a, a little bit more. Now, you just to get a little more a bit more background info before we kind of dive into you know some of the those early challenge days. So so you're living in, in South Africa. What's what's it like there? So. The weather's beautiful. We we are very privileged with the weather. It's mostly sunny and hot. Even on our winter days, we get a beautiful winter sun. What's it like living in South Africa? I think we are very, very privileged to have gone through the racial issues that we have and to be living in a country at the moment where it's a democracy and we have a rainbow nation and our nation is renowned for being particularly friendly. So it's really fun to visit and it's really fun to live here because the people around are really warm and kind and smiley. And Where we particularly live, it's a, it's a very busy city. It's very busy. Like there's a, it's a constant rush, you know, similar to like, like, it's just, you know, like a big city energy. There's a, 
there's not like skyscrapers or anything, but everyone's like always in a rush, you know. Shane often says Johannesburg is like the New York of South Africa. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah, I, we spent a little bit of time in New York, and yeah, that that place is like on a permanent caffeine buzz. <laughs> yeah. So a little less than that, but yeah. No, oh, yeah, you got you got me more and more curious now to, to check it out, especially when you mix in all that nice warm weather stuff for us. Yeah. Forever chilly Canadians. <laughs> the wealth gap's really sharp though so you you'll find some areas which are like really developed and like uh skyscrapers and stuff like that and then like right next to it, like a five minute drive away is like a township yeah the history of the yeah it's, it's it's pretty pretty visible yeah the discrepancies yeah for sure that that takes some time to to turn around so let's go back to those, to those early days so you're you know you're a young mom and excited for the possibilities ahead for you and beginning down this this journey with your, your kids going to, to school and whatnot. And, and now you're finding out, according to other people, they've got all these issues. Let's kind of journey down that path a little bit. What was that journey like for you? So all I ever wanted to do really was get married and have kids. I am a raging perfectionist and I love children. And I knew in my motherly soul that I was going to be the best mom that had ever hit the planet. I waited for this day <laughs> my whole entire life. And when Shane came, he really was a bundle of perfect joy and happiness he really was a perfect baby he was beautiful you know all those milestones they're supposed to reach at a certain age he reached all of them on time some of them early in fact on his first birthday we used to call him a little professor because he was so bright and so advanced and so intense and so curious that we thought we had a little genius on our hands and then when I fell pregnant with our next child we sent him off to play school and we were totally shocked when, when we heard that he had issues. And even when we went for the very first assessment, it was a speech therapist. And she said to me, I, I mean, we were sent to a center that is for language delays and seriously brain damaged children. So I got there with Shane and the therapist said to me, I'm not really sure what you're doing here. I, I don't understand what the teacher is concerned about, but I'll assess him anyway and we'll just see how we go. And then afterwards she said, I'm really not picking up any issues, but I'll give you some exercises to do at home just to strengthen him orally if that's what she's concerned about. And then the journey carried on. You went to a nursery school for older group after that and it was just problem after problem. He needs physiotherapy and he's got low muscle tone and he can't sit still and he can't concentrate. And this all went on and I bought into it all because I'm not trained in education. I've got a diploma in beauty therapy. I ran a beauty salon for 13 years. I don't know anything about education. So I bought into all of it. And because we were the right. top private schools, we did everything we were told to do. So yeah, so you Deferring to the you know the, the experts, if you will, uh, that they know what's best and, and wanting to be the best mom you can, you're you know trusting that the best is is whatever they're saying. When Shane was in grade one, his teacher told me he was having epileptic absences, so I had to take him for an EEG, and it came back clear, um, which was a traumatic experience in itself because when you go to a neurologist, you they are severely brain damaged children and people there and then when he was in second grade his teacher actually medicated him without my permission so when I collected wow. him from school that day I literally just removed him from the school he was there on the one day and the next day I just took him out and took him to a new school so that was the first of 17 moves wow and so I mean what ultimately were they these diagnoses were happening but what was triggering that what, what were they seeing in the classes that were quote-unquote like not healthy I have no idea I, I think uh, they thought that I was like having blackouts basically. So they thought that I was like my brain stopped working or something like that for a certain period of time and then came back kind of like a like a seizure, I imagine. But I never have uh, that's never happened to me, you know. I think maybe I just wasn't interested in what they were saying. It's never <laughs> been like that couldn't be the problem, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, kids yeah. not interested in what's going on in school. Let's just stroke that one off the list. There must be some medical issue. Huh. So, okay, you had this, this kind of scary thing where your kid's being medicated without your permission, so you went somewhere else, and, and sounds like things didn't, didn't really get better from there. Well, what happened from there was we had dealt with so many years of issues with Shane, and then I imagined that Danny, my daughter, was, was fine. So I thought, okay, I've got one problem child and one perfect child, and we'll just take it at that. And then when she started first grade, within six weeks, she stopped talking. She's actually quite a loud, bubbly, friendly I mean, she doesn't stop singing. She's a very, very bubbly personality and she stopped talking. She was so traumatized by the environment that 
she she got into my car one day and she just burst into tears and we decided to move her as well which we did and then again all the problems came we went to psychiatrist she was put on medication one of the medications caused a life-threatening illness which I didn't expect her to get obviously you know they say there's a percentage chance that they can get this it's called Stephen Johnson's disease but she probably won't get it and she did she got the early stages of it and the psychiatrist wanted to hospitalize her and our doctor said she's so anxious by nature the way they'll treat her in hospital I can treat her at home so she survived that luckily and we are very grateful for that but again an unnecessary and and just futile exercise and a scary one as well yeah, absolutely. Wow, can't imagine. So as you said, it was it was like 17 schools over that time. I mean, what was that like each time trying to make those shifts for both of you? When we got to the psychiatrist, we had been through this with Shane and we had accepted that we had one problem child. When it started with Danny, we were so shocked and we were so desperate and, and, and we felt so almost guilty that we were doing something wrong, causing all these problems within our kids. And then we had our third child. So let me just tell you about Danny quickly. So the 17 school moves were not 17 schools. They were 17 moves, which means, and this is the part that a lot of people don't realize, there's a phone call that has to be made to the school. There's reports that have to be sent in. There's a meeting with the principal that you have to discuss if, if you know, your, your family would fit in the school. Your child has to go for an interview. There's a whole there's a trial week that in what some of the schools you have to pay for. Then at the end of the week, they can tell you, well, I mean, Shane was once declined from a quite a low functioning remedial school after spending a week there, which is, it's really emotionally very, very traumatic and worrying because you get to this place and you think, okay, fine, there's something drastically wrong with my child. I'm now at a center where there's something drastically wrong with all the children here and I'm sure they'll be able to cope with him. And then they say, sorry, he can't come. So now we think we've we've actually got a serious, serious right. problem with our kid. <laughs> right. no, like, like, uh, like I'm brain damaged. <laughs> Gosh. Right. And then kind of as Shane was moving around, Danny was also battling. And then through all these school moves, you know, I feel like throughout my life with all the medication and stuff, there was a certain point where I was like so depressed, like so, so depressed. Yeah, I was not happy. And I was so medicated as well. Like I couldn't think straight. There was a point actually where I, I was just like, I was so hyper-focused. I felt like I could like hear the cars turning on and it was terrible. I like, my mom was telling me about one of the drugs that they put me on. They give to like adults, like the same dose, which is so hectic to be given at that age. And to be like so hyper-focused. How old were you at that time? Must have been all of 10. I think you were about eight. Eight, yeah. You see, like it, it's a, I can't understand how people drug kids like that, you know? I felt terrible. I was so depressed. Yeah, and then they caused heart palpitations, the medication. So what they decided to do is because I wasn't concentrating in school, this medicine was supposedly helping me concentrate. So they gave me a beta blocker, which is a pill that slows down your heart rate to stop the heart palpitations so that I could take these pills that were supposedly helping me concentrate, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's insane if you think about it. Yeah, just one medication solving the problem of another medication, which creates another problem. And I wasn't concentrating. My marks went up. I just wasn't happy. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you weren't even, it was hard to even just kind of really be yourself, right? I mean, these drugs yeah. change you in so many ways. Plus, I imagine all these messages and, you know, whether it's being said or just through the experience that you're something wrong with you. Right, all these constant messages that you don't fit in, got felt, you've got uh, issues. And... I felt as though, I'm not sure, I don't really remember much of it. I think a lot of it may be due to the trauma of the teachers, but I think I was also heavily medicated a lot through this, like basically like throughout my whole childhood. There's a lot that I don't remember with regards to that stuff. Like I don't remember details of the experience uh, in any of these like ridiculous doctor's rooms and stuff like that. I, re I remember going there and stuff like that, obviously, but I don't remember like details of the experience. I imagine that would probably extend to part parts of your childhood in general, just lots of it kind of being a blur and, and passing you by. I, I remember we were once at a water slide park and I was on these pills and I remember sitting there and I think I cannot move. Like I don't want to go on any of the slides. I don't want to go to the pool. I just sat there like my mom remembers. She got so angry at me because we were at this place and all of the other kids were playing and I just didn't want to move. Like I was so medicated 
I felt so sick and I just, yeah, I just sat there. Like I just sat there and I was like still. I spent the first 13 years of Shane's life being angry at him for not being everything he was supposed to be. And when we found self-directed education, my most common statement that I make and I, and I hold so strongly to is that self-directed education is not only an alternative method of education. It's a way of life. It embraces so many things from conversations you have with your kids to opinions you have about your kids to how you come to resolving issues with your kids. And all of a sudden, when you respect your kids, you actually learn to like them for who they are and what they are, not what society says they should be or what their path should look like. So that was a very, a very scary shift for me because we really, really went to some dark places because I, I truly believed there was something wrong with Shane. And I truly believed that what I was being told was absolute truth. I mean, these people are really highly qualified and, and renowned around the world. And it was such a sad shock to me what I went through with Shane. But as Shane's journey started and I learned more and more, it gave me better tools to deal with my other kids. But I have to tell you the most exciting part about Jude, our baby. Now yeah. me and my husband have decided we've, we've got two problem kids. Okay, so we've had Shane. 18 months later, we had Danny. There's something wrong with both of them. Oh, I don't know what we'll do with them. But now we've got Jude, who's a genius. Jude was <laughs> reading at age two. Jude's okay. first words we were numbers and letters. So hmm. now we thought, oh, we're home free. He's going to go right. to a mainstream school and we're just going to breeze all the way through. So when he was in playgroup, his teacher used to go up and call all the first grade teachers to come down to the playgroup. And they used to give him sight words and he, can read, he could read all of them. And they thought it was magic. When he got to first year of nursery school, in the midterm break, there was a teacher who had been on maternity leave and the teacher that took over her locum met me together. And they said, look, Jude's not your first, he's your third, and you've been through this. Jude is reading and we don't know what to do with him. We think that there's a problem because when you have a child who is extremely gifted in one area, it usually brings all the other skills down. So we believe that the best thing for Jude would be a remedial school. Believe it or not, we listened. I mean, you would all think right, wow. I had learned by now, but I didn't. That's we, incredible. So we put Jude in a remedial school. I mean, in school. hindsight, right? He stopped reading. He used to have a passion for reading. I mean, he used to read World War, Four, World War II books when he was four. And his passion for reading has completely dissipated. I think it actually stunted him. Socially, he was happy, you know, as kids are with other kids. But it was absolutely the wrong decision. And I must add that he was put on an antipsychotic drug, Schedule 7, at seven years old. Wow. So, you, I mean, as a family, you've clearly, you know, you went through a lot. And we, we went to a really, uh, a really hectic place where I wasn't speaking to my parents at all. They would like, I was out a lot of the time. So I was, I was like off the rails completely. I never spoke to my mom, like unless it was about money, of course. But yeah, even then I just didn't, you know, like I had such a terrible relationship with her. It wasn't just that we like existed passively together. Yeah. It was actually hostile. Like she hated me at that time, you yeah. know, and I hated her. It, it was like, it was like a, it felt like a prison thing, you know, because you, if you're not treated as an equal, you want to push against that, you know? Mm-hmm. So sure. at that yeah. time, uh, it was it was really dark. There was a point at where my depression got so bad that I, well, I was thinking of, of committing suicide. I had this friend that talked me down from it, which it was, yeah, but it, it was that bad. Really reached that point, yeah. Yeah, it was really so, terrible. So you mentioned in your, you know, in your kind of in your intro that you gave me that uh, one day, all of a sudden, this new opportunity opened up through a conversation with your, with your neighbor about, about self-directed education. Our neighbors have always been different. Like I've known my neighbors since I was five. We've always been really good friends. I've never had like a major fight with him or anything. But throughout my life, you know, with all the school moves and everything, I always like we, he didn't, he's never been to school. So I was thinking like, okay, that's kind of weird, whatever. But I never thought much of it. And then when we got to such a dark place, I asked him about it. Like, how is that happening? Because at this point I was in eighth grade uh, term two. And my teacher basically, like in so many words, told me that I was unteachable. So my mom basically said to me that she's just, oh, she's done with it. She's over, she's over it and I can drop out or whatever. So at this point, that's when I, that's when I asked my neighbor, like, um, what is it that you actually do? Because he, he was talking about the center that he goes to and uh, Sudbury, I knew it was called Sudbury. 
So I asked my mom to research it and stuff like that. But when we first met my neighbor, when I first met him, his mom and my mom had tea and she thought they were very strange for not going to school or whatever, as you can imagine. I remember yeah. the conversation. Where do your kids go to school? They don't. What do you mean? No, we do something called self-directed education where you follow the child in what they want to learn. Uh, okay. What does that look like? Well, you know, if they want to learn about space, then we'll research space. And I thought this was the weirdest thing. The weirdest, strangest thing. I thought, it cannot work. I don't know what these people are. They are seriously strange and it's not for us. That's what I thought when I first met them. And the funniest thing is that we were, when we were in the darkest and scariest place, as a family, as humans, as a mother, as a son, it was, it was really scary and terrible. Shane left the house and my neighbor phoned me and she said, I believe things are very bad with Shane and his friends are worried about him. Would you consider letting him come with us? I said, you can take him, you can have him. I don't want him. If they've got a boarding facility for him there, we'll pay for it. I just don't want him anywhere near me or any of my children or my husband or anything. He must get out. And then what happened was things continued to be difficult at home. And my neighbor's actually the co-founder of the Sudbury Inspired Democratic School. And one Saturday, I will never forget what they did for us as long as I live. We were really struggling with Shane. I didn't want him to come home. Nobody else could take, I couldn't dump him on anybody else. And the director, well, other founder who started the school invited Adam and me, my husband and Shane, with her, my neighbor, and her father's a qualified psychologist. They sat with us for six hours in a room mediating a conversation between me, my husband and Shane. You know, it's quite like uh, if you actually think about the point that we were at where we couldn't sit down in a room and have a conversation uninvigilated and unmediated. We couldn't do that. We were all crying that day. And, and what I found so amazing is that Adam and me were so closed-minded because it's all we knew. You know, that's what I say to a lot of parents who feel guilty when they do find an alternative education because they don't know any better. It's all we know. So we do the best that we can with what we know. Well, and I would say too, I mean, the sense I'm getting from you is especially when we're trying so many times, there's also a certain messaging out there that that is the right way and to do anything else would be to let down your child to some degree. Would you say that was part of the thinking? 100%. 100%. And at that point, even though I thought it was strange, I thought, well, I have this child that I really don't know what to do with and I can't give him to anybody else because nobody wants him. So they'll take him. And even if it's weird, I don't care. He won't be in my house for a few, day, uh, a few days That's every totally, day. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there were times week, yeah. where I was like full on like kicked out of the house. And then this community, this Sudbury-inspired democratic school community embraced us. And I have to say they actually saved our lives because... Shane fitted in there very well. I stuck out like a, like, like a sore thumb and Adam was not interested in getting involved. So the way that they embraced us, despite how disinterested I was and how absent Adam was, was actually miraculous because they taught us the foundations of everything that we know now about things like horizontal communication, respect for your kids, listening skills, empathy, conflict resolution, all things that, that actually all humans need at some point, especially when you're in a relationship and especially when you're in a family with more than two people. You know, there's, there's five people living under our roof and even though we're family and we love each other, we really needed to be taught how to live together and coexist. And, and, and self-direction really, in everything that it came with, did that for us. So uh, Shane kind of got the ball rolling by going to school, but really it was the whole family that was receiving that education, sounds like. Shane, just curious, what were the early days like for you as you're making this shift? So like, yeah, as you find out from your, your, your friend next door that, you know, things are, he's kind of going this weird school and what were those early days like for you? At the time, when, as I had shifted, I was really off the rails. I was smoking a lot of weed. I was, um, I was really like, I was not in a good place at all. And you know, at that time, I just, for about a year, I didn't do anything. You know, I didn't do anything. I, I was partying and I was, uh, I was really, it was quite a rough year, you know. So that was, that was 2018. But then towards the end of that year, I felt like empty, you know. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, it wasn't you were, I mean, quote unquote, doing 
something. I mean, as, as you guys know as well, that when you make that kind of tr transition, there's a lot of de-schooling in, in a sense, right? There's a lot of things, there's a lot of letting go that has to happen. And, and just even, you know, now that you have some ability to make some decisions more in, in your own life, just that whole experience of what that is starts to, to change. That takes, that takes time, and especially given the trauma, my goodness. And just, just the effect of all the, the drugs all those years is not surprising to me that you spent a year, quote unquote, not doing anything, but really you were doing very transformative, necessary things. Uh, yeah. Towards the end of that year, I found myself feeling uh, very empty and I had all these people around me that I didn't like. And I just, you know, I had a really surreal experience towards the end of the year where I just like, I looked at myself, like I took a good, honest and hard look at myself and I was not happy at all with who I was. I had like this crazy, like transformative experience where I just, it was kind of like a transition, you know, like as a person. And at that time, I was like shocked as to the person I'd become, you know. I decided then uh, that I was going to, I was going to drop all of these people. I don't want to be friends with these people anymore. I don't want to be in that crowd. I don't want to be involved. So I decided I wanted to do something for 2019. I wanted to, I wanted to like have a transformative view. I wanted to do something with my life and, you know, like turn it around and stuff like that. So I took on this exam, which, you know, I was planning on, you know, dropping all these friends anyway, but at that time I was practicing drums uh, like eight hours a day to meet the requirements for, to pass wow. this exam. Throughout these years, I, I was, I started playing drums when I was like nine. Yeah. But that's been like a constant for me, you know. An, an outlet for you in some ways, maybe a way to kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that's fun too. Graham's into, into guitar, though I don't think yeah. he's ever practiced for eight hours a day, but. Yeah, imagine it'd be pretty loud practicing for eight hours a day. <laughs> we had, how, did that, how did that help the family, the family relationship? So it's interesting. It's, it's, I'm actually glad you asked because I really wanted to tell you this part. So when I was at school, things came easily to me. School just came easily to me. I was very sporty. I was academic. I did whatever school wanted me to be. And it was, it was easy. So when I had these problem children, it was very difficult for me to accept. So when Shane was eight, I sent him for guitar lessons. And after about nine lessons, his teacher called me and she said, look, Shane is not a guitarist, but I will send you to someone to who can teach him drums. So I had no idea that he was going to take it so seriously and go as far as he's done so young. Then when he qualified as a teacher, he needed students. And as it happens, mom always steps in first. You know, everybody's mom does that. I started taking lessons with Shane and because I was used to things coming easily to me and being quite a well-coordinated person, I imagined it would be quite easy for me to catch on. I'm struggling. I have been learning for a year and three months and I'm really struggling. And the weirdest thing is that it's humbling me so much as a parent and as a person because through all the years of Shane having something wrong with him and knowing what he did in order to get to play the way that he does and what I would have to do in order to play half as well as he does is just mind-blowing and it's such a privilege for me to have because I don't think in a lot of situations children have knowledge to teach their parents. I mean I know all parents say our kids are our teachers but in this specific setting he is the drum teacher with the drum knowledge and skill and I'm the student and I need him to teach me and I can see when he plays, how good he is, and what would have to go into it to be that good. And it's actually been a privilege for me. You know, I try and do it from an objective standpoint, you know, because like it's just, it's a student and, uh, you know, my job as a teacher is just to give the tools and then she can choose whether to practice or use them or not. And oftentimes I can't, she can't progress unless she's practiced. So if she walks in and she says she hasn't practiced, I'll just often like leave her to do that thing because that time then becomes your practice time. But yeah, I was saying the when I started practicing eight hours a day, that I just said to everyone, like, I can't do this anymore. You know, like I, I sent a message to like the friends that I found like were closest to me, you know, and I just like I had a fallout with all of them. And yeah, I just after that, I was practicing for eight hours a day. And then at the end of the year, when I qualified throughout that whole year, I was I was changing, you know, I got interested in so many different things. I got obsessed with the idea of productivity and physical health. And I started reading, you know, and all of these amazing things that I'm like, I carried with me today, you know. I think, you know, for parents who are listening right now, I think they're all like really curious about 
like how that shift happened. Cause I know like even right now, you know, there are lots of kids and I, I don't know, I've heard lots of stories both directly and, and, and indirectly of just particularly with COVID and everything and just kids who kind of lost that passion for learning in some ways, like passion for life in a lot of ways. And, and so you kind of went through this metamorphosis transformation. What was it about self-directed education model or the Sudbury school? What were the, what were the keys there? What are the factors that made the biggest difference in now all of a sudden you seeing all these possibilities in front of you, having all this motivation to you know, work in your health and practice drums eight hours a day. Like that's a massive shift, right? So what were the keys to making that happen? So the transformation that you're talking about happened at the before I started with drums and everything like that. I think for me personally, the transformation happened when I just I got to a point in my life where I was so like, for lack of a better word, partied out, and I just took an honest look at myself. And uh, you know, I found I I started dating my girlfriend, my current girlfriend, around that time. And you know, I started like taking a real good look at myself and you just have to be really honest with yourself about who you are and um, if you're happy being that person which is really difficult because it's not it's not going to be a pleasant thing do you think that being a part of the, the Sudbury school helped facilitate some of that just with in the way that they there's this exploration and inquiry and such yeah I think if I didn't have that exploration and I was still um, treated as uh, not an equal in terms of the relationship with my mom and my family. If I didn't have that exploration, I would have never got to the point where that transformation happened. The de-schooling thing was so powerful because being allowed that just absolute like freedom, you know, to do literally whatever you want, that for so long, no, you're not going to do that forever. I really doubt that if you let someone just like smoke weed and get like really drunk like all the time, they're not going to do that forever. It's not something that no one wants that lifestyle. So I think when I got sick of that, basically, that's when the transformation happened. And I decided I want to do something with my life. And what was amazing is that when he had this transformation and decided he wanted to do something with his life, this was now after a year of me being embraced and trained and really immersed in education. Shane went and found his own path. So it's not like he said to me, please go and find me a drumming school or please go and find me a teacher. He went and found a teacher that he thought he was going to be able to work with well. And it was the best thing that happened to him. I also think that I'm eternally grateful to my drum teacher because the things that he taught me and the life lessons that he taught me is stuff that like, I don't know where I would have gotten elsewhere. You know, it's like, it's made me who I am today. Everything that I do, he got me interested in a lot of things like physical health and um, it's like that sprouted things like my productivity obsession and things like that because I liked with drums when you're practicing eight hours and you can see measurable results every single day that feeling I got obsessed with and today I'm like so obsessed with productivity methods and reading and just like self-improvement in general that really sprouted that whole thing yeah there's a couple things I'm picking up on there and Graham would be curious if, if anything else shows up for you there too one one is it sounds like just having especially like he's a teacher but perhaps in many ways like a mentor for you some an older person who sees value in what you're doing and, and helping you accomplish things that kind of you built that trust relationship and someone who is willing to invest in you as a, as a person as a whole human being really spoke spoke volumes into your life and then as you said the second part is just having something where you, you see those that daily progress right those wins that keep building it reminds me of you know, my time in, in CrossFit, you know, when you're lifting another extra five pounds here or, you know, you get your time down a little bit there. Like, it just feels wonderful, like awesome. So <laughs> I can relate to that. Graham, any, anything that you also noticed there kind of stood up for you? Yeah, just kind of that he wasn't just a drum teacher to you, but kind of an important person. In your a life, life coach, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Another thing I want to say is I don't want to paint a picture where everything was doom and gloom and then we found self-directed education and suddenly our lives turned magic. You know, for Shane, it, it was a good move and his drum teacher really, really took him under his wing and, and changed all of our lives, as well as one of the facilitators at the centre and as well as his girlfriend. I think it was a mixture of a whole lot of things. But our other two kids are still finding their way. You know, I can't say they're a success story yet. They're still de-schooling a bit. They're struggling a bit. They've tried a lot of things in person, online, all different kinds of things. And what I'm learning and what's very interesting is that we went from only knowing about conventional schooling 
all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum to self-directed education, which is complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And only now on this journey am I learning that there are million, a million alternatives in between that. And I think it's very important for parents to hear that self-direction is not the be-all and end-all. It's, it's the concept of letting the child be involved in decision-making about what direction they want to go in. And the fact that my other two kids aren't there yet is also okay because they're not doing nothing. They are preparing to be ready for what they will eventually do when they are ready. I think I just want to add on that quickly. I was saying that the transformation happened when I was allowed that exploration. I think the de-schooling process, for me personally, that, that cannot be like undermined. Like that is so important to have that freedom. Yeah, actually, just for, for people who are listening, sometimes I forget about these terms could be new for people. How would, I mean, Terry in particular, I mean, with your background and studying all this as you poured into it, how would you define de-schooling for people? Unlearning. A lot of people say unschooling is not the best word because the un part makes it somewhat negative. It should be like more developmental. But I have to say, if I had to make a synonym for de-schooling, it is unlearning everything you've ever known about school and parenting and bringing up kids and who's in charge. And, you know, we, we have this idea when we are parents, that our kids are going to come into the world and we are going to teach them how to speak our language. And what I've learned in my journey, Shane's nearly 17, is that our kids all come along with a different language and we have to learn how to speak it. Because if we try and force them to learn our language, which is completely foreign to them all the time, all that's going to happen is you're going to have a chaotic, miserable, dramatic and traumatic life which we did for a long time. So despite the fact that I say self-directed education isn't the answer, it is one very, very valuable alternative. There are many others, but as Shane says, the de-schooling process cannot be underestimated how important it is and what a real, real thing it is for parents and for kids. It's a real thing. We are entrenched in this culture. You know, if you think about how far technology's come in the last 30 years, medicine, cars, everything has exponentially moved and school's exactly the same. When Shane started first grade, he was in the same classroom that I was in in first grade and he had the same teacher that I had in first grade. That's a lot yeah, of years wow. later. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a powerful example right there. Well, because you know, we've been talking a lot about about Jane here, but you know, as, as you and I know, and you know, some of the other guests I've had on the show, like in order for our kids to be successful, it's as important, or I would argue, even more important for the de-schooling process that the parents go through, right? Because we have such an influence over their their path, their direction, their possibilities, and really, the the bulk of the work that we do with parents is not on our kids, but it's on ourselves. Couldn't agree with you more. I think that is the wisest statement. And I'm so glad you said that because so often, so like now I'm getting a lot of people calling me and phoning me. I hear that you are in a very different place and your kids are doing so well. And what would you attribute it to that kind of thing? And I often, often question the parenting. I often do. When there's a child who's got problems, I always, always think to myself, the first port of call should be the parents. And I don't think that you can just go for therapy and then know what to do because therapy is such a wide spectrum. There is such specific unlearning about school that has to happen, de-schooling that has to happen, space that has to be given for the child to go through that process and have the trust that they will eventually come around and do what they want to do and find their passion and just give them the space to be who they are, not who you wanted them to be or who you think they should be or who society says they're supposed to be. There's a quote that says, we need to parent the kids that we have, not the parents we thought we'd have. And I think that's a big lesson to parents. Yeah, I can resonate with that as well. There's times, you know, I'm sure Graham can think of times too where, you know, like I know my own expectations or thoughts around, you know, what's the right thing or the way it should be, or, you know, with all my kids, but I've got a lot of the, the frustrations, the frictions, it often comes down to that. Right. And, and quite un, unfairly, you know, for them in many ways. So yeah, we're all still on that journey. So for parents who are out there 
you know, listening to this now and, and seeing, okay, yeah, you know, I've, their family, they've got their challenges and, you know, they want to make things better. They see this school in the traditional senses is not working out for them in the ways that they had hoped and are looking for alternative solutions. Where, where would you suggest they start this journey? There are so many different angles that have to be included. It really has to be approached holistically. So the first thing that I ever learned, which is was actually quite a powerful concept, was I think it's a concept in psychology. There's four stages. The first stage is you don't know that you don't know. You don't know there's a problem. Then you realize there's a problem. So you know that you don't know how you're supposed to be or what's, you know, what, what you should be doing. I hate those words supposed to and should, but you know, you are aware that there's a problem. Then you start learning about knowing. So then you know that you know, you start training in it, you educate yourself. There's a million podcasts, books, people, I'll get onto that in a minute. But the last stage is you get so familiar with it that you actually don't know that you know. It becomes such a part of your life and communication and, and just your being that, that it stops. You don't really need the effort anymore. You still need the mindfulness, but it's not so difficult anymore because you begin to grow and evolve together. And when your kids can feel that they're in the safe, trusting relationship that's truly, sincerely, authentically safe, then they begin to open up and that's when you can work together as a team. So Stephen Porges speaks about the polyvagal theory, which is very interesting and an extremely important concept that's a physical reality, that it's a biological thing that happens in the body that, that you should know about. Yana Clements runs a course on horizontal communication. It is so, what's, so what's powerful. polyvagal? Polyvagal speaks about there's a nerve or a reflex or a muscle, something within the neck, in the brainstem, that when a person feels any kind of threat, whether it's a physical threat, whether it's a tone in someone's voice, when they don't feel safe, they're going to flight or freeze mode. And that valve cuts off the circulation to our brains that can think rationally, absorb any kind of learning, engage in a nice, normal, calm way. It is physically impossible when a human being feels threatened to engage. And it's such a simple concept. And if you think about what kids go through when they walk into a classroom, say there's 30 kids and the teacher is just in charge just because they're in charge. If those kids are feeling threatened or they're not feeling safe for whatever reason, there could be a million they're not going to learn. They're not going to absorb. So did Shane have epileptic absences? No, he didn't like the teacher. She wasn't nice to him. He didn't feel comfortable. And, and it could have just been that, that he couldn't think rationally or he couldn't engage. It's, it's physically impossible. It's very interesting. I, I don't know if I'm telling the biological terms correctly, but, but that's pretty much what it is. Horizontal communication is massive. It's such a big part of developing equality and you know so many people say but kids don't know what's good for them how can they just make their own decisions and do whatever they want it isn't like that it actually becomes a team and what was so interesting for our family is that our kids went towards self-directed education one after the other so first Shane went then about six months later Danny went and then about a year later Jude went and that was in 2019 and then in 2020 COVID hit I don't know how our family would have survived being in four walls, the five of us, had we not learned how to horizontally communicate and interact with each other like human beings, not wild animals. So the timing was so amazing for us because we had this unusual time abundance and space togetherness where nobody was being dropped off at school. We weren't rushing anywhere in the morning. All of a sudden, my husband was working from home. I was working from home. Shane was working from home. Everybody was at home, but because we had had this insight and this kind of like tools given to us, it was the most unbelievable experience. And we grew so much as a family, as humans on our own, but as a family and how to join together and work together. You know, a lot of people think that horizontal communication or unschooling or de-schooling is when the kids are in charge. It's almost like the parents and the teachers are in charge in conventional systems and the kids are at the bottom. And people have this, um, idea that that when you set the kids free then they go to the top and the parents get shoved to the bottom and whatever the kids say gets done and and you just do whatever the kids want to do and it's really not like that and the funniest thing the, the biggest realization for me is that you would imagine that the kids do that but they actually don't 
They just want to be equal. They just want to be heard. They just want to be uh, respected. I think it's worth noting that when I was treated as an equal and we really worked on a relationship like that for so long, I eventually decided I wanted to get my high school diploma and, you know, I, I went back to school, you know, on my own terms. I found pro- tutors who I like taking me through the subjects that I chose. When I was treated as an equal, it's very different. Shane's actually living like an adult. So when he found his tutors, I didn't want to get involved. I felt like he needed to handle this and he absolutely did. He found who he wanted to learn with, when he wanted to learn, where he wanted to learn, what he wanted to learn. And all of a sudden, Shane was just running his own life and not being forced to do anything. Well, he wanted to go back to school. And in fact, today, he actually wrote a grade 10 paper. And what fascinates me is that in the year that he missed school, which is actually where he's supposed to be. So if he wanted to slot back into the conventional schooling system, this is exactly where he would slot back in. And that proves even more that school doesn't necessarily have to be age segregated, grade segregated. You can't go to the next grade if you don't do this grade because he has proof that he went back after missing so much. But when there's that intrinsic motivation and that respect for what he's doing and that space and he's heard and he's taken seriously and he's given the tools to make the pathway for his life, it's just a totally different story. Well, a few more things we'd love to do just to just to wrap up here. So in a moment, I'd love to get to like some specific things that, you know, parents could kind of perhaps look up, perhaps some of the resources that you think are, are really awesome. Actually, why don't we start with that first? And then we're going to end with a kind of a, a fun little rapid fire questions that Grandma has for Shane, just to kind of some fun questions, just to learn a bit more about him. Okay. So the first thing I have to say that's very important is I, I truly believe it's imperative and crucial to become part of a movement because this can feel very, very scary when you're doing it alone. You feel very alienated and you actually feel like there's something wrong and and you're doing this weird thing because there's something wrong. When you join a movement, first of all, I find that the people that get attracted to this kind of living and this kind of learning are actually the most unbelievable people. So the, the movement that I found is called Aero. Alternative Education Resource Organization. And again, embracing, explaining, supporting, connecting. It's just, it's, it's so warm and it's so comforting to know that they're there. There's another group of people that I've met that are currently in Mexico. And they've traveled around Mexico and the surrounds. They've gone into alternative schools, interviewed the teachers, studied their model, and they're actually making a movie that they are entering into a film festival about self-directed education. And I'm on their team, which is so weird. I mean, I would never have imagined that that's where this has brought us. But our website is called evolvingeducation.org. Eros' website is called educationrevolution.org. Then, oh, we have a Facebook group. A few people that I found in the movement started this group, and it's really just to bring this conversation to many, many more people that are desperately looking for help or enlightenment or furthering their communication skills. It's called Personal Growth Meets Alternative Education. And the reason we started the group is because we feel that you cannot take on an alternative method of education, especially self-directed education, without taking on the personal growth part. It's called Personal Growth Meets Alternative Education. That's our that's our Facebook group. So we've only been going for just a little bit over a year and we've got 100 members, which is quite exciting. Very cool. I'll check it out. Okay, great. Great. Awesome. And we'll put all the, the links to all these things in the show notes. This is really, really helpful. So people can can check those out and and uh, some take some, some steps on their path. So Okay. Aero's got a conference coming up in June, which is their conferences are mind-blowing. The speakers that they get, the people that come. I think last year they had 500 people globally. There was something like 16 countries or something like that. And it's it's really, really worth checking that out and, and possibly joining. There's some yeah, youth, there's on. some old people. It's It's really, really diverse, very interesting, and very, very cool. Well, you sold me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> oh, good. I, I, good, good. I, I'd love to. I'd love to attend that. So excellent. Awesome. All right. You know, we've delved a lot. A lot of heavy stuff. Let's wrap up with some light, lighter fare. So, so Shane, uh, usually when we interview a kid and an adult, we just like to ask some fun rapid fire questions to get to know the kid a bit more at the end. 
So the first question is, what's your favorite food? Favorite food is pizza. Okay. I think I've gotten that answer a couple times. Then the second one's, what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie, Spirited Away. Oh, okay. I haven't heard of that one. I'll have to look it up. What time do you wake up in the morning? Four. A.M. Oh, wow. Early. Yeah. What gets you up that early, Shane? Gym. Okay. I was going to say, I hope you're not practicing drums that early. Yeah. <laughs> now, name one person that inspires you. One person that inspires me. My drum teacher. Oh, uh, yeah. From earlier. That's good. What's one thing that's on your bucket list? I'd love to, I'd love to check out uh, Fiji Mountain. That, would, that sounds cool. Oh, cool. What do you like about that one? I think I just like the scenery. It seems super tranquil there with the cherry blossoms and all that stuff. This might be the same answer as the one before, but this one was, where do you want to travel to most? So you kind of answered it in the one before that. I want to go to Taiwan. Okay, cool. Name one thing that you're currently learning. And I'm currently learning... I'm reading a book called The Art of War, so it's, uh, it's about winning with the strategies that the book talks about. What I'm learning is how to apply it and into everyday life and, uh, yeah, just accomplish, like, conquering procrastination, stuff like that. I've got to mention two very important things. I'm sorry I'm jumping, and, but an amazing person that I have to tell you about is Lainey Liberty. I don't know if you know her. So Danny did a teen development course with her last year. And at one point last year, Danny had a very dark patch. and Very, very dark. And this year, we were just sitting outside. We were having a good day. And she was saying what a good space she's in. And I said to her, what would you attribute your shift? I mean, from your darkness last year to where you are now, she said a thousand percent Lainey. So she's really? doing another course with Lainey starting on the 18th of May. And another sweet thing I want to tell you about Jude. Good shout out for Lainey. Yes, absolutely. And about Jude is, I'm just trying to reiterate how they do eventually come around. So he tried a lot of things that he didn't like. He didn't like online learning. He didn't like meeting people from overseas learning. He didn't like any of that. And I've actually got a cousin who's been a conventional school teacher for 35 years, but now she's retired. And he said, I want to learn. I actually want to do some schoolwork. I just don't want to go to school. Will you teach me? And she said, yes. So she started coming three times a week. He's just learned to tell the time. He's learning maths. He's happy. She's happy. We happy. You know, there's, <laughs> there's all kinds of alternatives under this one alternative umbrella, which I think yeah. is extremely important to realize that there isn't one right answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's just about really just being open to possibilities and allowing something to emerge. That's a great way to wrap up. Before you go, can I ask you, Graham, what's your favorite food? Oh, now I'm getting asked the questions. <laughs> yeah. I'm really, oh, that's, that's hard to pick because I really like cooking. So I do a lot of cooking and I like a lot of food. I'm coming for dinner tonight. What are you cooking? Then I'd have to know what your favorite food is. <laughs> I uh, eat everything. <laughs> awesome. I don't know. I honestly can't pick one right now. Okay, that's fine. Where do you want to travel? Well, I did go to Mexico so for three months. So that was very fun. That was a while ago. It was a lot younger, but we went there for three months and explored. So where are we going next? We were talking about this earlier today, actually. One place I want to go is Spain, but there's a few different places I want to go. Oh, amazing. Well, maybe when this COVID's over, we'll do one big meetup somewhere. That would be fun. Yeah. Organized by Lainey, probably. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Well, it's been, a, it's been a real pleasure having you both on the show today, Taryn and Shane, and just, you know, really just to share your story, just be really open and vulnerable with us. Graham and I both learned a lot and certainly were inspired and I'm sure parents and, and families listening as well, right, can, can take a lot from today and, and see that, you know, whatever they're going through, they're, they're not alone either and there are options out there and they can create a path forward that uh, brings them hope and joy and success. So well thanks so much Jerry. for being on the show today. Thank you for having us and it was so nice meeting you too. All right. Bye, bye. bye guys. Bye, thank you.